Okay, so any questions from Luke chapter 4, verses uh, 14 to 44, part 2? Anything from this morning? Jim. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. In my message, I talked about the dichotomy, or really the antithesis, that grace and obligation are mutually exclusive concepts. Let me, let me back that up. That's a crucial concept to get. Um, go to Romans 11. It, it's, harmoni- it's just putting together something Paul says in Romans 11 and something Paul says in Romans 4. So in in Romans 11, Paul says this in verse 5. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. So from here we get grace and works are mutually exclusive concepts. The second you can establish works, it's no longer grace. With me so far? Okay, so that's the first piece. It's a two-step leap, a two-step point. First, grace and works are mutually exclusive. If you got the one, it can't be the other. They can't coexist. The second, works are introduced. Grace is no longer grace. Now go to Romans 4, because at the heart of works, you'll see, is obligation, indebtedness. Now this isn't as clear in the English, although it is in the Greek explicitly. Um, So he says in verse 4, Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted. Now what you have is gift and due. See, my Greek class can keep me honest. They can check me up. You can check this out. Literally, it's kata according to grace or according to debt. For one who works, his wages is not a grace. It's not according to grace. When when your boss gives you a paycheck, technically, you've got no reason to thank him. He hasn't done you a... the only dumb he's obligated to do, right? There's, there's no grace in receiving your paycheck. You, you, it's owed to you, and you might take them to court or complain if they don't pay you what they owe you, right? So the one who works, his wages are not, and then the Greek is literally according to grace, but according to debt or obligation. So at the heart of the notion of works is if you work for someone, they're obligated, they're, they're indebted to recognize that work, Right? So if you're working for God, God would be obligated, indebted to recognize your work, whatever that work is. Um, And so if salvation's by grace, it can't be obligated. In other words, you you contradict yourself. You speak gibberish if you speak of God being obligated to be gracious. It's it's a category error. You, You can't ought to be gracious. If there's any indebtedness, if there's any obligation, if it's not free, it's not grace. That's, that's the point. And the second you have obligation, it's owed, then it's whatever it is, it's not grace. 
That, that's the point that, that you got to grasp. And so we got to be careful because we sing of God's grace. We sing of God's grace, but then we start to get really uncomfortable if it looks like God's not treating everyone exactly the same. And undeniably, some people have had more exposure to the gospel. Some people have had more exposure to God's word. Some people have prophets sent to them, and others don't. And we want to go, and, and Jesus' whole point is God is not obligated to be gracious. He's free to be gracious. He didn't owe anyone a prophet. So he wants to send a prophet over here. It's the same, same point Jesus makes when he tells the story of the vineyard owner who hires people throughout the day, and he, he comes out and he negotiates a wage for these people, and they work the full day for the full wage. But then he goes out a couple hours later and hires some more people, and he goes out a couple hours later and he keeps doing that. And the last guys only work you know, an hour. And then he starts paying them, and he pays them in reverse order. So the guys who showed up last get paid a full day's wage, and the people who worked a full day think, man, if he gave the guys who worked an hour full day's wage... What's he going to pay us? Woo. They get a full day's wage too. And they grumble. And the, the owner of the vineyard says, I've done no wrong by you. I've paid you what I said. If I want to be gracious to this person, what, what wrong have I done to you? And again, we in America, in the, in, the, in, the, in the sort of fairness doctrine, really wrestle with that because, like, you know, if you can't, you can't give a candy bar to one kid, you've got to give it to all the kids. And if you, you know, and, and people can get really hung up on this. And Jesus flat out says the whole notion of grace is God can be gracious to him. You go back to Moses on Mount Sinai when the Lord reveals himself to Moses. He says, the Lord, the God, and I'll be gracious to him, I'll be gracious. <laughs> it's like, hi, I'm God, and I do what I want. And we can get really uncomfortable with that. Um, and the good news is what God wants to do is be gracious and kind and a savior. But we feel a lot better if he ought to be, if he's somehow constrained to be. Instead of it's a free act of grace, you know, we feel a whole lot better if God ought to, you know, um, feel a little safer then because we're not as completely dependent on him. But we have to become completely dependent on him. Is that, anyone want to add anything or say anything to that? Does that make sense, this notion of grace and obligation, grace and debt? Um, that whatever grace is, it cannot be obligated. It can't be owed. You cannot meaningfully speak of you ought to be gracious. It's a category error. You with everyone with me? I'm not saying fairness is a bad thing, but, we, but there's a difference. Let me take this one step further. Do you guys get the distinction between fairness and justice? I've talked to people before, and they look like what? Like God, because God nowhere claims to be fair. Everywhere He claims to be just. But nowhere does God say, I'm the Lord, abounding in fairness. Um, this doesn't happen. Um, so here, the, the parable of the vineyard owner is a perfect example. But if, if I walk in here and I give $10 to Zeb and I give $10 to someone else, and I give, but not everybody, and someone comes up and says, hey, that wasn't fair. I say, yeah, you, know, you want fair, go to you know, August, you know, Grand, Grand Street in August, right? Something, something. Fair. fair? State fair? Okay. Wendell's got it. Okay. Um. <laughs> you can definitely pray for me for the funeral. I won't, I won't. Okay. Um. No, and, and, this is, and this is precisely one of the offenses of the gospel, the exclusivity of Jesus. Because did God, did God send the Messiah... He sent the Messiah to one nation on earth, and it was one of the smallest nations, and God chose one of the smallest peoples of the earth. He didn't send the Messiah to the Chinese. He didn't, he didn't send, you know, he, he worked with this one little tiny puny people group. Now, from that people group, he sent out messengers to all nations and all peoples, but let's face it, you know, a little portion of the Middle East got a ton of attention over time, right? That's not fair. Right? 
And, and if, if by fair you simply mean equal treatment, it's not equal treatment. And the Apostle Paul gets a resurrected appearance of Jesus Christ, and my grandmother didn't. Right? But there's no injustice there. And, and we live in a society that more and more is tempted. If you're going to be nice to one person, you've got to be nice to everybody. If you're going to do something special for one person, you've got to do it for everybody. Um, and this, this can become a real burden. Um, I, who was it? I'm trying to think. A friend of mine. Um, the parents literally will, if, if, if they do so kindness for one child, will cut a check to the others. Out of a sense of, no, because they've bought into this. Now, they're doing it in faith. They do it because they think it's right. I'm not trying to mock them. But like, it would be like if my mom helped me out because my blue a tire and she bought me a new tire, she'd then pop a check in the mail to all of my sisters for the cost of the tire so that everyone's getting equality. Um, that, that's taken it a bit far, if you ask me. But, you know, unless you want to send me some checks, then I will not turn the <laughs> checks. I will not turn the checks away. The Lord leads, push it on, on your heart. And I'll be just fine. Um, but... But so does that make sense? I mean, not that we should delight in inequality. Not that we should go out and like I'm going to intentionally give some candy to some kids and look at the others and be like, what? No. But, but, but uh, does that make sense? I know it's going to be difficult. But and then we look at the exclusivity of Jesus' claims. There's all these other religions, and we want to say they all get you there. Nope. <laughs> nope. You can't be biblically faithful and say that. And so, yeah, but that's just your religion. Other people are born in other cultures. That's not fair. And you have to say, yep, that's not fair. And if by fair you mean equity, total equality. It's not. I have significant advantages being born in a country that has a gospel witness. There are people born in the cultures that don't. Right? We're trying to end that. But there are people who simply are born into a culture that does not have a gospel witness. Let's look that in the face and call it what it is. That is not equality. That is not equal treatment for all. Agreed. I just don't see God anywhere saying, I'm fair. Yes, Elsa. Yeah. There you go. Right. Right. No, that's that's precisely that's precisely. Let me say for the tape what Elsa said that she heard someone say, um, "If God is sovereign, then He really has three, not two choices. We we want to we want to pin Him into either save everyone or save no one. But if He's sovereign, you can choose to save some. And and that's what the God of the Bible reveals. But we want to put Him on the horns of the dilemma. If you won't save everyone, then don't save anyone. He's all or nothing, buddy. And this gets back to the whole. I mean, and that's the point of the parable. There's all these widows. I'm sending one prophet to one widow. And if you don't start with the bedrock ground of God could, I mean, you've got to look this in the face and, and not blink, and it's tough. God could choose to have saved no one and done nothing wrong. God could chose not to. I mean, get this. If you think God was obligated, if somehow God becomes a jerk or mean, if he didn't send Jesus, then you are subtly thinking he needed and ought to have sent Jesus. We should marvel that he sent Jesus. Not, But the test is, imagine if he didn't. Imagine if everyone perished. Is God somehow now a jerk? If you think he is, then you think somehow he ought to have, he needed to send Jesus. 
It's, it's tough, but you got to look that. But if you start with, we all deserve wrath, we all deserve judgment, we all deserve um, his, his fury, then you can start moving. And wow, everybody. There is some sense in which God gives everyone grace, right? I mean, the rain falls on the just and the unjust. Um, everybody gets some delay of punishment because perfect justice would not only be hell, it would be hell now. Right? I mean, if, if murderers got sentenced to life in prison and the sentence starts in 10 years, we'd say, what? Right? Well, we're worse than that, and we get, on average, 70 years, or 70 to 80 years by force of strength. And so everybody gets that grace, and everyone gets the grace of, of common grace and air and the rain. And the, yeah, I mean, so there's a sense in which God's, God's grace is pouring all over everybody, but it, undeniably, some people get more grace than others. There's no getting around that, um, and, and there's no use trying to pretend to. Yeah? Um, okay. Zeb? Yeah. I'm more moral than God. Um, I'm more loving than God. And God tends not to look at that. Kind of <laughs> um, I mean, this is true. You this look is at, true. At Job. Yeah. After Job's like, oh, what was me? Everything was terrible. God should have treated me better than this. Mm. God's response is, sit down and shut up. I'm going to show you what, right. what you are owed. Right. No, no. I, I, Zeb's... Zeb's point is that we run the risk of becoming more compassionate than God, or at least thinking that we're more compassionate than he is. I mean, it was really kind and loving of God to save some, but wouldn't it have been more loving and more kind and more wonderful if he would, did what I think is good and saved everyone? I mean, you end up with the really uncomfortable position of saying, I guess I'm more loving than God? And that's not usually a good place to be, is if you estimate yourself at any point higher than God on any scale of measurement. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. Yes. Um, I, I don't think it's as much the issue of fairness as simply um, the issue of reciprocity, that I should treat you the way I want to be treated. Um, the only reason I'm not saying how fairness necessarily jumps into it is if I walk up to somebody, say after church, I invite somebody out to lunch. In one sense, I'm treating a person, I like being asked out to lunch, you know, but I didn't ask everybody out to lunch. That's not fair. You know what I mean? Now, hopefully, over time, it evens and spreads itself out. You know what I mean? If I keep asking the same two people to lunch, eventually I'm going to get charged with being sort of clicky, you know, um, and, sh and showing favoritism and stuff, right? Yeah. Yes. 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 Right. So um, the distinction there is we are obligated to love, right? Let no debt remain outstanding except the ongoing debt of love. So I'm not free not to love Christians. So in that sense, I'm obligated to. So if I just say, well, how's about I just love the Christians who are like me, wealthy, and they show up at the same time I show up, and they're not slaves, and um, why don't we form our little clique and then we'll start doing the Lord's Supper first and we'll get drunk in the process. That's They were. That's what he says in 1 Corinthians 11. They were drinking to the point of drunkenness. Well, now you are playing favorites. And now when you're doing a church activity, it's, it's, it's part of the distinction is also 
I don't think there'd be anything fundamentally wrong with, like, let's take our small groups, Sunday night small groups. There's a bunch of people who are going to meet at, uh, you know, um, Lee's house, not this Sunday, but next Sunday, right? And it's some people, but not everybody. Other people are somewhere else. And we might have better food. I think we do. Um, <laughs> and, and, and so there's a sense of, whoa, you're not waiting for everyone to show up. But what we're doing on Sunday night with small groups is not one of the two rights the Lord gave the church. So we, we are f- freer to do things how we like um, when we're not doing corporate activities. There's a big distinction between the church coming together. So actually, go to to 1 Corinthians 11. You referenced it. Let's look at it. Because there's a key key phrase there that I think governs the discussion. Um, 1 Corinthians 11. Verse 18. For in the first place, when you come together, what? As a church. We're not a church until we come together. Get that? We come together as a church. And so when we're coming together as the church, as a church, then we need to act in unity and in unison and we need to wait for everybody and we need to work together and we don't start the singing until people are here and we don't kick some people out and we don't play favorites we don't just play the songs that these people like and all of that applies because we're coming together as a body and that's where all those imperatives apply and so in that point when we're functioning as a church there is all sorts of commands about not showing favoritism and 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 taking care for everyone that apply. Um, so we try to give great thought to that for how we gather on Sunday morning. One of the things I love is there's four different worship teams, so we get different styles, different song selections that hopefully bless and appeal to everybody. When I was when I was picking 90 or 100% of the music a couple years ago, one of the things I had to wrestle with is, am I just picking the songs I like? No, no, but it's hard, right? Because, I mean, I don't know the songs I don't like. <laughs> no, fair enough. I mean, you know, um, I mean, I know a couple I don't like, but I don't know many of the songs I don't like because I don't like them. Um, and so it's it's a blessing to have Isla, who's going to pick from a very different pool than I'm generally. I mean, this overlap, but Isla knows songs and has access to songs. Man, like she amazes me. Well, I'll give her some like obscure topic, like what's this Sunday about? And I'll be like, it's about Jesus, you know, rejecting the Galileans. Because it's like I got the perfect song for that. You know. Um, <laughs> Wow, okay. Um, but that's one of the things i got to factor in for Sunday morning because the danger is suddenly becoming a church for middle-class white people or a church for, you know, whatever, whatever you want to... And that can very, very subtly happen. Um, and so, well, we got to be careful we're not doing that. Um, however, those principles that apply to our corporate gatherings... Um, there's a sense of free and volunteerism in, as I leave here, just go love each other. Well, what does that look like? Well, however the Spirit leads you, there's no law, love. Oh, maybe I'll love, love each other by asking these people out to lunch. Okay, great. And then that's where you're going to start getting differentiated, differenti- differentiant, wow. Differentiation? Okay, all right. 
Now, even, but even there, but even then, you still have to check out, be on your guard. And this is something that you know, Serena and I'll check. We'll, we'll go through the uh, directory. Is other people that we're neglecting? Other people that were? I mean, on the one hand, I think the first year we were here, we tried to invite everyone over to our house once that year. The problem is, if you see someone once a year, you don't get to know them. So then we quickly realized it probably makes more sense to try to pick three or four couples and get them over three or four times over the course of a couple of months and get to know them. So you target people and you do that. and you know. But you got to make sure you're not just totally neglecting someone. Like, oh, that person? Yeah, I don't like them. They're, they're kind of weird. Yeah, pass. No, and if, that's, and if you if discover that in your heart, like you need to repent. But there's a freedom of... Do what you want, love who you want, go, you know? And so, yeah, if I catch myself, I, if I catch in my heart, I don't want to love this person. I need to crucify and deal with that. But otherwise, there's a sort of freedom of like, okay, go act and walk in faith and in love and do unto others as you doesn't do unto you. And the Spirit will lead you. That's a long-winded answer, which I know you're not surprised at. Does that deal with your question or is there more? Okay. Okay. Yes, Al. My answer is too long. Yes, yes. Where words are abundant, transgression will not be lacking, right? Um, he's marveling at the gracious words coming out of my mouth. Oh, okay. Okay. Whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah, no. Okay. Any other, any other questions? Um, we will probably not dive into the whole tongues issue just because I want to end five minutes or so early. That gives us ten minutes. So, anything? I mean, we can. We can go ten minutes, ten more minutes in First Corinthians 14. We can do that. But any other questions? Yes, Elsa. Uh, there is none. Renee, that was purely a... It's one of the rare, rare... Renee never makes mistakes. So this is, I, I'll have to let her know. You should send her an email asking. <laughs> hey, look, if eight people tell me that I said tetriarch. <laughs> and there, there are more. Yeah. No, this is just one of those rare times. Renee simply um, made, must have made an error. And it's rare. It lets us know she is, in fact, human. Um, but, uh, yeah, that, there is absolutely no link of content between... Um, um, okay. Any anything else? Anything else? Zach, you got anything? Oh, Jim does. Yeah. Let's go to the end of John's Gospel. Question for the tape is, okay, what about on the other side of salvation as a believer? Um, and, you know, the, the blessings seem to dry up. You know, and you think, wow, do I deserve this? What's going on? Um, what, how do you deal with that? So, um, let me find it. Um, Man, what is it to you if he remains until I appear? He did not say he would live till he appeared. He simply said, what is it? Uh, 21, 22. 21, 22. Okay, beautiful. Thank you. Okay, 
So this is the same exact point as the vineyard owner. Same exact point. Identical point. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved, which if you do the process of elimination, that's John the Apostle. Um, oh, sorry, chapter 21 of John. John 21.20. Sorry. John 21.20. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who had been reclining at table close to him and said, Lord, who is it that is going to betray you? When Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Oh, no, so you got to go back further. Jesus has just told Peter he's going to be martyred. Sorry, you got you got to go back and, and um, look at verse 18. Truly, truly, he's talking to Peter. I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. Church history tells us that Peter was crucified upside down next to his wife and daughter. So, Jesus basically says, there's going to come a time, Peter, in the future, someone's going to take you somewhere you don't want to go. And they understood that to mean you're, you're going to have an ugly death. Peter then, is, Peter's a real sweetheart. Well, what about him? <laughs> right? <laughs> um, Peter turned, saw the disciple. Uh, in verse 21, Peter said, saw him. He said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? But that's not fair. What is that to you? <laughs> Unapologetically, he's sovereign, he's God, and we don't get to go. But that's not, if, I think it would be much more fair if you spread it around and all of us could just have a bad week or two. Hey, that's fair. Um, no, and John is the one apostle who isn't martyred. He's exiled. I mean, he has a rough go of it still, but, you know, he lives to be an old, old man and, and uh, writes Revelation on Patmos. And Peter gets murdered and crucified. So um, this, what, you're, what we're getting at, though, is um, go, to, go to 2 Corinthians, and we'll wrap it up here, I think. 2 Corinthians 12? Yeah. Second Corinthians 12. And for those of you coming to the uh, funeral, my message, Je- Jeb picked my text months ago. It had points for me to teach as well. The man was an engineer and he was organized. And, uh, and so one of the points, if you read John 11, it's John 11, the resurrection of Lazarus, it's unmistakable. Jesus lets Lazarus die. He gets word of his illness, and then he decides to wait two or three days. And when he gets back, Mary asks him, Lord, you could have healed him if you'd been here. Martha, you could have healed him if you'd been here. The crowd say, this man, he can open the eyes of the blind, but he couldn't stop this guy from that. The question in everyone's mind is, why did Jesus let this happen? And Jesus doesn't say, oops, I'm sorry. He says, this is for the glory of God. Jesus these are people he loves. The text tells us he loved them. There's meant to be some cognitive dissonance. In fact, okay, keep your thumb here in 2 Corinthians, um, just real fast in, in John 11, because I, I won't have the time to unpack all this this evening because people won't have Bibles in front of them. And, and uh, ESV, by the way, is critical here. Um, check up the conjunction beginning verse 6. It's post-positive, but... Um, 
So, verse 3. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, to whom he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of Man may be glorified. Now look at verse 5. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus so when he heard that Lazarus was ill. That's causative. And if you have the NIV, I believe you don't have that, do you? What do you have? Yeah, they put an adversative in. It, they, they put six. Um, it's, it's completely wrong. Um, the reason they do that is because they pick up on the cognitive dissonance. You're, this is intent. What would you expect? You'd expect if you love somebody, you're going to go end their suffering. That's what you'd expect. But JP, back me up. There's no way on earth that word is adversative. Then thus accordingly, right? Therefore, it's causative. Because of this, this. Not in spite of this, this. Yet means in spite of. Despite the fact that he loved them, he did this thing. No, because he loved them, he waited. And the whole point of saying it that way is to make the reader go, whoa, whoa, whoa. I mean, you're supposed to be like, what on earth? But the text is emphatic. There's no, there's no ambiguity. The ESV and other translations get it right. Um, because Jesus loved them, he let Lazarus die. And that's the whole point. You've got to unravel and, and unpack and wrestle through this text is how on earth does that work? And I won't do that now. I'll try to hit some of that tonight. But I just want to show you textually, it, it's inescapably there. Jesus' love for them is the reason why he lets Lazarus die. That's what it says, and that's what it says. Second Corinthians 11, and I'll try to deal with some of that tonight, but I wouldn't have the time tonight to hammer that out from the text. 2 Corinthians 12. Paul has a thorn in his flesh. We don't know what it is. Thorn in his flesh is really way too wimpy of a translation. He has a spear through his body. Um, or a spear for his body. He's basically saying he's impaled. Three times, verse um, 7. So, to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn or a spear was given me in my flesh or my body, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I'll boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults and hardships, persecutions and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And, and the point Paul's getting at, and this, this will dovetail into tonight, is I'll use Jeb as the example. How many of us for a decade or more have been praying, Lord, take this thorn away. Take, take, take this away. How much glory did God reveal for himself through Jeb's faithful suffering and perseverance? I mean, when you read my powers perfected in weakness and you look at Jeb and the way he and his family lived, I think you get a glimpse of how that works. And what God's saying is, and what Paul's saying is, if that's what God's going to do through my suffering, then I'll, then I'll embrace it. And I think if you knew Jeb, you didn't get this why. Why did God do this to me? Why? And yet, just like Paul, Lord, take the thorn away. <laughs> But I'll be content to bear it. If this is how you want to glorify yourself, okay. So the assumption that if someone loves me, nice things will happen for me. 
is a wrong assumption. I mean, every parent gets this when they try to make their kids eat something other than candy. Because No, no, because in the immediate sense, candy is more pleasant than broccoli. Now, you know as a parent long-term, broccoli will be better than a child just eating candy, right? God's got an even longer-term view. You know what I mean? Um, so we just have a short-term view. God's got like an eight-billion-year view. And I guarantee you it's better for Paul in the long run that he suffered like this and knew Christ like this and brought glory to God like this than if Paul had a pushy life. So it's not that God doesn't love us. The glory that comes because Jesus lets Lazarus die, and he lets those people he loves go through that valley, but he says, you get the resurrection, you get them believing them, you get them seeing the glory of God. That's better for them than had they avoided that whole thing, and there never was that. In the long run, that's more loving of him to give them that, even though it involves going through some really nasty stuff. And that, that's sort of the short answer. God does not willingly afflict his children. He's not a sadist. Jesus weeps in front of the tomb. So if God is letting nasty things happen, he has a good reason. And he has a great reason. And we don't get to know what they all are. But the real question you got to ask is, am I willing to take from God the job of glorifying him through my weakness? Or will I only glorify God through my strength? Now, some of us, the answer is, no, I'm not willing to glorify God through the sickness of my wife. I'm not. Okay. Then that's the issue. You know, um, on that note, I'm going to let you guys go because I need to do some preparations for the funeral. Can you? Can I ask you guys as you leave to make sure you police everything? We're going to be having a funeral in here later, and it will help the deacons tremendously if you make sure all the paper and the cups leave with you. Thank you. You are dismissed. <laughs> <laughs>